This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show number 241. Today is titled Days Like These, Parenting Comfort with Pip Lincoln, the author of Days Like These. Uh, It's a book that I was sent by my publisher because we have a publisher in common and uh, straight away I was like, oh, we've got a parenting and kids series coming up. It would be so wonderful to bring Pip onto the show and obviously often we focus on the kids in the parents and kids aspect, but parenting comes with a lot of challenges and even though we got some good tough love from uh, psychologist Amanda Gordon a couple of weeks ago on the show, it was a fantastic show on resilience and boundary setting. Um, uh, And she talked about how when you sign up to be a parent, uh, you're literally just not as entitled in those, especially in the earlier years, to have tons of me time. And it it really was just such a truthful, frank statement. But when we actually accept it, then we can actually start to uh, reframe the absolute uh, privilege that it is to be a parent and look to find comfort and ways of comforting ourselves and each other within the context of these crazy busy years of parenting small people. So uh, I really loved having Pip Lincoln back on the show uh, and onto the show for the first time uh, to explore this topic a little further and to Uh, within the context of being busier than often people ever have been before. Uh, How do we actually care for ourselves and care for each other within this time? And I guarantee you, you will feel like you have pulled up a beautiful doona and drunk a hot chocolate by the end of this conversation. It's comforting. It's soothing. It gives so many practical tips, as does Pip's gorgeous book. Uh, Pip has written about parenting topics, uh, being a mother, and uh, and so forth for many years across several publications, uh, including her own authorship. And uh, she's a wealth of sage, sage advice and comfort. So enjoy today's show. Pass it on to your parent friends, anyone who finds themselves struggling or really just unable to piece together some semblance of uh, balance in uh, the busy parenting life, especially when you're parenting multiples, twins, or you're a single parent. Those are added challenges uh, that uh, uh, none of which I've experienced myself personally. And I think it's just brilliant to bring Pip on, who's had so many thousands of conversations with so many parents over the years to dive into this topic and truly become an expert to help you navigate through it. So I hope you enjoy that chat. It's coming to you in just a little minute. Uh, but firstly, I want to, for the final time this month, 
uh, give a big shout out to our wonderful, transparent, sustainable, and yes, I mean actually sustainable uh, fish oil supplement uh, that has been supporting the show this month, Nordic Naturals. Uh, it is something that both my doctor and my son's pediatrician have us both on therapeutic doses of simply because of the boat to bottle transparency, uh, especially um, my son's pediatrician being uh, a vegan herself um, for animal cruelty reasons. She is a stickler for ensuring that any product that's recommended, if it is animal-based, fish-based, really is the best. And the levels of EPA and DHA in the Arctic decod liver oil by Nordic Naturals are both very high, very generous. And uh, when you buy fish oils, unfortunately, they're not all created equal. And just because you see uh, a good source of omega-3s written on the front of something does not actually mean it's a good source. Sometimes uh, the uh, levels of EPA or DHA or both are actually quite woeful. And uh, just in one teaspoon of the Nordic Naturals cod liver oil, uh, you get an average of three times what's in the average omega-3 supplement, just to give you a rough idea of how high the quality is. Uh, and Something that I love about them as I dug into uh, researching the brand uh, anew because, you know, obviously when someone's going to be a show supporter, uh, I want to make sure that even if I take it myself that I really have uh, dotted all the I's, crossed off all the T's and made sure that it is truly a low-tox brand from an ethics and uh, purity perspective. Uh, and um, there is no oxygen in the processing of this fish oil. And that is one of the reasons it is so fresh. You don't have that weird oxidized, oily vibe. You don't get the fishy burps. Uh, and it's something, especially in the lemon flavor or the orange flavor, that you can get across the line with your kids. Uh, my son has no issue taking it. And fair enough, he's not a fussy kid to begin with, uh, but it really is just easy for him to take. And if your kid likes chewing on things, uh, you might actually just want to try the capsules and, and give them a couple. They're not gummies that have any special fancy flavor, but he actually just chews on a couple of them and swallows them back. So that's an option as well if you don't want to do the liquid. Uh, but we love the liquid primarily uh, because it A, comes in a glass bottle, uh, which I find is, you know, just that extra little bit less of plastic in the world. And the levels of EPA and DHA Uh, are really, really high um, comparative to being able to take a teaspoon of it versus having to take four capsules over a day. So for convenience factor uh, and price factor, for for me, I find the liquid works out to be the best. So uh, thank you so much to Nordic Naturals for being a truly sustainable brand. Uh, You have some links in the show notes that if you wanted to explore the brand further. I know there's been a lot of um, black and white statements made about fish oil lately, uh, especially in quite a popular documentary. Uh, I loved that documentary because of the conversation it started, but we cannot make black and white statements when we do actually have producers doing wonderful things that do actually really help people who need either a um, preventative strategy, a maintenance of health strategy, or like me and my son recovering from SIRS, a therapeutic uh, strategy when it comes to getting a really high dose of uh, EPA and DHA every day. 
So thank you guys. Uh, the giveaway, because we had the giveaway, I have a winner to announce for you. And uh, my goodness, there were so many wonderful entries. And I really love the stories that people shared uh, about what um, what led you to wanting to try a brand like this and people who've felt a little bit confused by the research, a little bit uh, freaked out by um, mercury and heavy metals. Uh, Nordic Natural do a huge amount of independent testings and they have all those certificates available online to you uh, so that you can have the peace of mind that it's not just them testing internally, but they're getting things independently tested as well. And you see that they test for things like PCBs uh, as well, which can be endocrine disruptive. So it really is the purest uh, for sure that I've found. And I know a lot of peeps in the low tox community love it as well. So the winner of the duo pack of both our um, Arctic Decod liver oil liquid in the lemon flavor, or you can request no flavor at all if you prefer. Uh, and the um, uh, capsules, if you want to try those as well, they come in a duo pack for the winner, is drum roll, Deanne Oki. Uh, congratulations, Deanne. So her entry was Hey, Alex and the Lotox team. Such beautiful timing to have this show on. So her uh, entry into the giveaway was uh, on Elise Comerford's show a couple of weeks ago, talking about food, stress, anxiety, uh, the stress and anxiety that can come from r- dramatically changing your diet all in one go, and how Elise actually wants against doing that, even though she is a renowned GAPS practitioner. Uh, So it was a fantastic show. And Deanne's entry was such beautiful timing to have this show come into my week and world and my son's world who has had this week uh, learnt that he has pyrrole disorder and is annoyed that he has to make another change in food, poor love. He's already feeling so different. A few gentle reframes that are going to help from this show and all round support required. Uh, and uh, I can, um, and here she says, uh, including some of the changes we are going to be making are introducing cod liver oil. So I would love to win. As always, thank you. Love the work that you do. Thanks, Deanne. And I hope you and your little guy enjoy the Nordic Naturals products. So that's enough of me rabbiting on. I know as parents, you are busy. If you're listening to this show, you need comfort sometimes. And this show will deliver in spades. Enjoy guys. Hello, Pip. How are you? I'm very well. Good morning to you from uh, rainy Tasmania at the moment. Ah, good morning from sunny Sydney. Um, <laughs> thank God, because we literally had months on end of rain. And Yeah, um, we've been the opposite here. We haven't had a lot, so it's very well. Oh, perfect. That's good. Yeah. Everything needs a good drink. Yes. Um, I'm so excited to talk about your book. I feel like by the end of this hour, every mum out there is going to um, just feel like they got a bit of a cuddle. That's that's how I felt when I was reading your book, getting ready for this interview. I was like, yes, oh, absolutely. Like I was just, it was revelation after aha, after comforting sentiment, after the other, um, all the way through. And I thought, you know, how do I start this interview? And I think um, I just simply want to ask you, um, what do you think as a person, because one can go through life and if one wants to be a writer, 
there's many, many things you could be writing about. What steered you in the direction of mental health and parenting? Was there a personal link, your own sort of medicinal therapy, as a lot of writing often becomes? Well, I mean, it was lots of things. I suppose I'm, I am one for writing the book that I wish I'd had. Mm. So um, my previous book, When Life is Not Peachy, um, was all about mental health uh, when you're in a crisis. And this book for mums, you know, um, I sort of thought when I was a younger mum, uh, I had my first child at 18, um, I kind of wished that I'd had a little guidebook to kind of help me along the way. And Gosh, especially when you're 18. So yeah. I know, I know. And so I went on to have a couple of other kids and my kids are all grown up now. And my publisher and I were having a chat about mums and the fact that there's not really many books that talk to mums about looking after themselves there's so many parenting books it's unfunny but um, books for mums that sort of say hey you're the most important person in your family are few and far between and so um, I decided that that was the book I wanted to write yeah love it and while writing it and, you know, as a woman painfully aware of inequality and uh, um, often, uh, what am I trying to say, I guess stereotyping around the woman's role, um, did you ever think at any point, um, oh, but this would apply for a dad as well or a single dad or, you know, like how do you grapple with that because I'm sure that comes up in your own kind oh, of thinking. Definitely. Like a lot of this, a lot of things in the book would apply to dads. However, you know, there's a lot of stuff for men out there. Like men are really a big focus um, of everything in society. And I just mm, wanted to write okay. a book that was only for mums. I think, you know what, if, if a dad wants to read this book and he gets something out of it, that's wonderful. Um, and if a dad is kind of offended that this is a book aimed at mums, well, look, that's, I can live with that. I mean, there are lots, there are other books for dads. Like, go read those. Like, mm. <laughs> you know. Yeah, um, I love that. Thank you yeah. for being so honest and obvious about um, what that is and who you wanted to connect to. I think as writers, we really need to do that, right? Yeah, and it's yeah. not that I'm anti-dad. It's just that I'm really passionate about, um, you know, the fact that mums need more TLC and mums need the focus to shift to them and I mean you only have to look at the at the media you know over the last month to see how women and mothers are being treated and mm. I'm just yeah I'm upset about it and I, mm. I think why, why wouldn't you write a book that would hero mums and encourage them um, you know to care for themselves and teach them how to get others to care for them as well. Mm, so that is so critical, right? Teach them how to get others to care for them. We suck at that. We absolutely suck at that. And I think yep. um, I think that is think, you know, part of yes. the unique female experience, isn't it, is that we often give ourselves unto. That's right. I mean... There's, there's sort of some women feel that they have to be, you know, that they have to bear the burden of motherhood um, really heavily. And, you know, when you get to my age, I'm 52, you realise there really are no medals for doing a good job. All the times when you sort of sucked it up and suffered, you know, there's no point to that. Like there, there is absolutely no point. It's much better to uh, reach out for support 
tell people that you're not managing as well as they might think you are. Um, and yeah, ask, ask for a hand around, you know, whether it's around the house or, you know, um, elsewhere in your life, whatever you can do to make life easier for yourself. I think it's important to um, learn to ask for that. And, uh, you know, I'm terrible at asking for help. So, um, this so is, you, you know, this was like letting your mess be your message as well that's then. That's so true. I was yeah. just like, okay, you know, what what do I wish that I'd done differently as a mother? Um, and, and that was one of the things. I wish I'd asked for help instead of battling on and thinking that that is what it is to be a good mother. Um, I wish I'd realised that, you know, I could preserve a lot of my energy and um, well-being if if I actually pass some of the load on to someone else you don't have to do it all yourself that said many women find themselves in a situation where maybe there's nobody that they can ask for help and so you know I'm acutely aware of that as well mm. and I think the piece on nobody I can ask for help uh, needs addressing in itself because we've built a society that has produced that sentiment or reality, whether it's I think I can't ask for help or I actually have no one to turn to. Um, we've it. created we've that. We've gotten smaller and smaller, haven't we? Like mm. more and more insular um, and yet connected to so many people but still often finding ourselves without someone to turn to. So I think it's really problematic and I think we really need to look at that. Yeah, um, and uh, something for me that, that's been really obvious, and I certainly felt that way when my son was really little, um, but it, I had cool, cool friends teach me the village. And Amazing. it was just incredible. I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, of course I'll pick up your kid and bring them to my place for two hours. Um actually, we've got something on Saturday night. Could they just sleep at yours? And like, and then the yeses and all of us are saying yes most of the time yes. unless, unless you really can't do it. And it's literally a, like I felt like it was a muscle I had to build. So true. I think with my first kid, um, I didn't have any friends with babies because I was so young. So mm. I didn't have um, that village to fall back on. But I had family to fall back on then. So that was wonderful. I was really fortunate. Um, with my uh, other kids, um, I did that. I, I learned to ask for help. I learned to offer help as, you know, as often as I could um, to sort of create a bit of a culture of saying yes to each other and supporting each other. And I think, um, you know, it's wonderful when you see that happening. Um, That's so good. It doesn't happen for everyone, but when it does happen, it's just so rewarding and supportive. Mm. And where do you see along the course of that whole parenting journey, especially the early years, sort of early to tweens, um, that parents and mums struggle the most? There, look, there, it's different for everyone, obviously, but um, I spoke to a lot of mums and I thought about my own experience and it seemed to me that um, guilt was the number one um, issue along with things like energy levels and I had a lot of mums say to me um, you know that they just got tired of playing with their kids like they just it just wore them out and you know I'd kind of forgotten a little bit about that so it was kind mm. of to reconnect with that idea and yeah shout out to early childhood uh, educators and teachers in primary schools I genuinely have no idea how people do that yeah. and I am I mean, so grateful yeah, like I always really enjoyed 
that part of parenting. But I can so relate relate to women that are sort of like, oh my god, like if it, you know, if my kid says, "Mummy, watch me one more time," I'm just I'm gonna faint, <laughs> you know, like it, it's a lot. So I it think is. that relentless relentlessness, and also a lot of women sort of said to me, "Oh, I'm kind of the default parent in our family." Like interesting. Whether it's um, said overtly or just kind of going on quietly in the background, a lot of the time women are just doing so much more of the work and they're struggling not only to get it done, they're struggling with energy levels and they're struggling with resentment and, God, so they should be. So I think those are the, those are the main things. Mm. And, and so when, when we talk about that, um, default parent situation, uh, and you speak to this a few times in the in the book. Um, can you give people for now, because they're going to have to wait a couple of days till their book gets delivered, <laughs> <laughs> once they realise they really, really need days like these, um, can you give mums a couple of tips on how to start creating a healthier set of boundaries? Because I often think it's just we become so used to reacting instead of creating um, that it's literally like we've worn down our boundary muscle. And again, it's another one we've got to build up. How do we do it? That is so true. I think um, I spoke about this in my book, Peachy, uh, When Life is Not Peachy, about um, what I was going to (laughs) say. That's all right. We're talking about what we're talking about boundaries. Um, boundaries and um, the def- being the default parent. Oh, I don't remember what I was going to say. Oh, crap. Don't worry. Parent. We can edit this part where we're okay. trying to figure out what you were going to say. Okay. Um, do you want me to ask the question again and yes. see if you flow into something? Yes. Please do. Yeah, cool. <clears throat> okay. So in your book, uh, you speak about that default parent scenario uh, because it's obviously one of the key things that you researched and found that women were realising that that was the position they were in. But the problem is I I, I see it as, and, um, you know, I've only got one child, so sometimes I feel guilty saying things like this to parents of multiples, but that's probably my whole other guilt thing. You said guilt was number one. Um, you spend so much of your life, especially in the early years, when you are getting all those questions, mummy, look at this, mummy, do that, mummy, what's this, why do I have to do it, why, 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 the why stage, and you're reacting all the time, then they get a bit older. It's almost like you don't get the memo that you can start creating and being proactive in your life a bit more it's you just stay in reactivity mode is that what because I think you speak to that really well in the book how do we start to go oh, okay the dynamics shifting and I can actually shift my dynamic and bring some power empowerment back well there's a few things that we can do and like keep in mind I am coming at this from a mum point of view rather than a you know expert point of view I'm not an expert just have lived experience um, and I think that getting out of survival mode, um, which is kind of what you're talking about, is, you know, so vital. So a lot of it is acceptance and kind of labelling and noticing what's going on. So um, if you're feeling overwhelmed, stopping and saying, what's going on with me right now? God, I'm feeling really overwhelmed. Why am I feeling overwhelmed? 
you know, get a pen and paper, write down what's overwhelming you and then start to take some small steps, um, you know, to rein all of that in. I think a big part of being a mum is that you do just barrel along from this to that to the other. And the only time when you sort of stop and think about it is when you're lying in bed at night and then it gives you something really awesome to worry about for half the night and you don't <laughs> sleep and the next day, you know, you're starting on the back foot and the whole cycle starts again. So I think taking some time to sort of step away from what's happening and actually notice it is super vital. And I think as mums, we often kind of are asking how our kids are feeling, what's going on with them. We very rarely ask ourselves what's going on with us. And I think if every day, if you get up and you look in the mirror and you sort of say, okay, how am I feeling today? And what can I do to support that? I mean, it's a lot, if that in itself is life changing. I just got goosebumps as I said that. Um, because, you know, it's so radical for women to actually do that. Like we don't do that. We kind of look in the mirror and go, oh, God, you know, how am I looking? You know, what, what's wrong with my face today? Like we don't, we don't kind of think about, okay, what can I do for myself to nurture myself through the day? And maybe it's, you know, maybe you're feeling fragile and you need to kind of cancel a few things that day and just stay home with your kid and watch movies and have big chats and, you know, eat popcorn. I think, great, fine. If you can do that, do that. Or perhaps it's that you need um, some time to yourself. And if that's not possible straight away, perhaps you can kind of think about how to schedule that in with someone, even, even if it's half an hour. Even if you have a child that is super-duper clingy, perhaps you can organise half an hour to yourself. If your child is older, you know, maybe you can organise a day or, you know, overnight or, you know, whatever, whatever you need. But each day you must think about what you need to have to have a good life on that day yeah so key and I found when I started to realize how depleted I was in those early years um you can get quite creative with how you start to reclaim and I did things like I had been one of those serial get everything that you could possibly get done in that nap time done you know, I was running a little burgeoning business. It was low-tox life back then. It had just started 12 years ago. Um, uh, so I was trying to write blogs and do research and do all this stuff. I was trying to get the laundry done. I was trying to get the evening meal sorted because I knew that made me more relaxed once the evening came around if I had made a start. And then I thought, oh, my God, I'm literally killing myself in the middle of yes. the day. So I yes. stopped doing anything housework-related, anything. I would just work on my business, have a cup of tea and work on me. And um, I might put a wash on around four o'clock, but then when it came out of the dryer, my husband and I would fold everything and put it away together, not just me. And so I found, and I found ways to say, you know, can you go to work like 10 minutes later? I just want to go for a walk around the block on my own and get a coffee and walk home slowly. I just need that 10, 15 minutes so I feel like, my tank has something in it so I can do this day. And those little tiny things made the hugest difference. They really do. And I think, you know, like I've sort of, um, I've been writing for parenting websites for a long time and I've heard, you know, lots of cute stories about how mums um, block in time for themselves. And, and one which was actually quite controversial was that um, one mum, she would listen to podcasts for most of the day when her, her kids were really little. 
And that was her way of kind of staying connected to her interests. And controversial because, of course, the mummy shamers come in and go, you should be paying full attention to your child. Why did you have them if you're going to be plugged into headphones all day? And I just, you know, of course that's ridiculous. Of course (laughs) you're still paying attention to your child while you're listening to podcasts. Like, And I think, you know, do whatever you need to do to kind of, stay sane and feel more like yourself Mm. and don't you sometimes I'm sure you've obviously researched history in your field of writing about parenting how it might have changed over the decades and centuries um uh most people would have had some sort of housekeeper or daily um maid or something just even in a lower to middle class family you had that kind of support literally just 80 to 90 years ago. That's not a long time ago that you had that kind of support. A lot of people had a number of hours completely disconnected from their kids a very short time ago. I I suppose, yeah, it depends, I guess, on what echelon of society you were in, but um, definitely, like there were, you know, there were sadly servants and. and, Yeah, you didn't have to be wealthy to have this incredible village of. Um, support and so I think um, you know and then you know there were um, there's the kind of stories about 70s and 80s kids we were out all day and then we knew when the sun was coming down that we had to go back in and that's just not what it's like anymore for the bulk of families it really isn't you know Mm. like when you were talking about doing housework um, before I was thinking you know if if new mums in particular realise that, you know, like there is not some, um, I don't know, domestic squad that's going to come to your house to make sure you're keeping everything super neat and tidy, you know, no, nobody cares except you and so don't care. And it's kind of like it's gotten a bit like that with, um, you know, the whole free-range versus non-free-range kid um, idea hasn't it it's sort of like if you do let your kids roam around then everybody's like oh my god those kids are going wild and you know they're going to be harmed and this and that and the other and then, and then if you going. keep them at home you're a helicopter it's, parent it's kind of into world. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, what are we doing like to each other mm-hmm. and to ourselves like, so can I ask you a question about that as a writer in this space and mm. you would have read so many comments from people on so many different sides, different opinions, beliefs on how things should go. Um, What can we do about outrage, Um, fellow human outrage? We're all outraged by the way other people are doing things. Um, We build silos. We become so in our little bubble, nucleus, tribe, whatever you want to call it, and we find it um, outrageous that someone would do the opposite or something different. How can we build a sense of freedom back into personal choice on how to raise families and what's working for us might not be what works for you? More tolerance and compassion. I would love to see that. Is it start with one and, um, you know, be the example? Is it that simple? I think it is. I think it's be the example and... Also, I think sort of show that you are the example. Like be rather than be judgmental, be curious. Like wonder why other parents are doing things differently, you know, and that doesn't mean like you quiz them, you know, um, mm. in the comments of Facebook as so though it's kind of, kind of an interrogation. 
But I think it's important to think critically and think about, okay, well, why, why would they have made that choice and, and what would be the circumstances around that? And, you know, be curious and accepting rather than so sure that the way you're doing things is the right way because mm. there's no right way. Like everybody is doing their best on the fly, adapting um, as they learn. You know, I mean, kids are learning to be people and parents are learning to be parents. I mm. mean, none of us have done this before, really. You know, <laughs> yeah. if you've got one child, you've never done it before. If you've got two children, you've never been a parent of two children before. How would you possibly know how to do that? And, and so on. So I think be curious, think critically, and, you know, try to be more accepting, I think, of other people's choices because perhaps there's something in it for you. Like perhaps their approach Um you know, perhaps parts of it might work in your life. And and if not, that's fine. But, yeah, be curious. Yeah, nice. Be curious. I think that's a really beautiful way to go in. Um, I'm thinking about a, a, a friend who was really confident. She grew up in Berlin, so a really big city, and kids were free range. And they did go to school walking on their own at five Um, And, you know, it was just a lot more trusting. I think we're not very trusting in Australia that our our kids are going to be okay if they walk down the street. And I think that has a lot to do with Anglo-Saxon media um, uh, that we can definitely lay some blame there on this huge fear that we have that literally something horrible is going to happen if we give our kids independence or teach them how to walk to school on their own, which is tragic really. Um, but it's there. And I remember just being so curious about how she could be okay sending her tiny little five-year-old down the street on their, on his own with his four-year-old brother uh, to school. And I was just like, oh, I want to know how you develop that kind of confidence yeah. that they're going to yeah. be all right. I was genuinely curious because her mental health was way better than mine being super paranoid about losing losing my kid in um, Target for like 30 seconds because they went down the wrong aisle and you didn't see them. So um, I think curiosity really is a healthy emotion to go in when things are different because I learned something and I actually learned to be less scared by talking to her more about how she does parenting. And um, yeah, and I think, yeah, I think you're right. In Australia, we just sort of, I mean, and perhaps it's the same elsewhere, I'm not sure. You know, the news cycle really does bombard us with worst-case scenario stories and we are completely certain that there is a pedophile around every corner and, you know, it's just so sad that it limits our lives and our kids' lives so much. I don't really know what the answer is to that, but I do think um, it's something to be mindful of and to sort of think about ways that we can give kids a, a sense of freedom and give ourselves that sense of freedom rather than you know, being concerned all the time about these dark forces that might harm our family, I think that can get a little bit out of hand. So, yeah, I think perhaps being more optimistic is a good idea. Yeah, nice. So be curious, be optimistic. We're doing well. I want to now (laughs) tackle guilt because you've mentioned it a couple of times and you also mentioned it was the number one issue. Um personal share I had for my own mental health to be quite a regimented mum when it came to sleeping and naps and bed at seven and um, 
calming them down in the bed and then going and crying, calming them down in the bed, going crying. Um, and really, because I could not sleep with him on me, next to me in a bassinet, I just couldn't sleep. And life isn't good when the mama can't sleep. So you have to sort so that cool. out. And then I remember thinking, you know, I started seeing the um, trend in uh uh, you know, sleep, co-sleeping and breastfeeding while you're half asleep and then everyone just goes back to sleep. My nervous system couldn't handle that. Like if I heard a little, I'd be like, awake. <laughs> I yeah, just couldn't I do it. So, and I remember just feeling so guilty about my former self. It wasn't even something I was doing anymore. I wasn't even that in that stage of life, but I was feeling guilty about two years ago. And that is just so futile, isn't it? It's destroying us. It really is futile. And, you know, like if I talk to you in 10 years' time, like you won't even remember that. You won't even, you'll be like, you know, there's my kid. Like I don't know what the heck they're doing at the moment. Like you won't care whether you breastfed or formula fed. You won't care whether you chose co-sleeping or not. None of that will matter. But when our kids are little, it it does it matters so much all of that stuff because it's what we're living and breathing and you know it's kind of like they're part of us so I I mean I I totally get why you wouldn't want to be um co-sleeping if it didn't if it didn't suit you I mean why should you and like why should you feel bad that you didn't like you shouldn't of course you shouldn't any choice that you make is going to be the right one for you like I mean that's awful isn't it it's awful that it is awful societal pressure and social media and marketing can kind of make women feel like the choices they're making are the wrong ones yeah and that Um, we're constantly not enough I was talking about this um in another interview um I saw I, I actually do watch that horrible show Married at First Sight. Oh, my God. I, I was saw, like, she's not going to say Married at First Sight. And then I you did. Am. I still am. I love this, the drama of it. Um, and, We've all got our guilty TV pleasure. Yeah, like let's just pretend so it's fine. But someone that is not pretend is one of the women that was on, I think, last year or maybe the year before, Jules Robinson, the gorgeous red-headed Genuinely have no idea. Sorry. Okay. So she, anyway, she, <laughs> I'm um, sure like thousands of people got, out she there. She actually gonna, ended up with yeah. the guy and they had a baby. And recently I heard her doing a live on Instagram and she was talking about breastfeeding versus formula feeding. And she was saying that she um, was able to breastfeed for a little while and then she switched to formula um, because breastfeeding wasn't really working out. And then she said, how wonderful it was that other people in her family got the chance to have that intimate experience of feeding her little baby and how bonding that was for everyone. And, um, you know, basically that she was really pleased with how things had turned out. And I think those are the stories we need to hear. It's not that I'm anti-breastfeeding. I breastfed all my kids for extended periods. I was really lucky. But I am anti judgment and I think that mums should be able to do whatever the heck they want and just hearing somebody high profile like that talk about um, how she sort of came to that decision and how it has been a wonderful one like I just thought that was lovely lots of women don't breastfeed their babies and they need to hear those sort of stories we hear a lot of stories about how 
um, you know, wonderful breastfeeding is, and rightly so. But like I said, it's not for everyone. So I think we just need some balance and we need to cover every aspect of how we're approaching parenting. Yeah, and, and know, especially in this day and age, I think with breastfeeding, um, obviously I have a lot of health experts on the show yeah. uh, and uh, paediatricians who talk about the importance of it. But the beautiful thing about present day is we now know so much about what exactly the medical benefits are Yes, that if one can't, yes. um, you can actually start to simulate some of that goodness and... Yeah. Um, you know, and make there are it other, there are other next payoffs. best things. Yeah, yeah. Like, exactly. I mean, of course we know that breastfeeding, you know, there are so many benefits, but there are so many women that can't breastfeed. Why should they have to feel like what they're doing is second best? I mean, mm-hmm. it, just, it just isn't as far as I'm concerned. And, again, if we go back in time, we would see that it was very common for other people to feed our babies. Very That's common. That's right. Mm. Nurses, we're everywhere. Yeah. 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 So, so, yeah. 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 I think I, I the like Oprah generation. No, no, no. Voice. I feel like I'm just like going, <laughs> I feel like, you know, this stuff is so upsetting. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. Like, there's just, my gosh, women really do, you know, have it pretty shit at times. And I just think now with, you know, young women like Grace Tame and um, speaking out and sort of speaking their truth, I think we all need to be speaking our truth and really highlighting how difficult being a mother can be. It's not always difficult, of course. There's wonderful, wonderful parts um, to being a mum, but it is really difficult and we really need to be, you know, supporting women and, you know, just throwing that judgment, like, in the sea, like it's Mm. enough. No more judging. Just, yeah, be curious, be accepting, be interested who said we have to have an opinion about everything? We don't. Yeah, I love it. Curious, accepting, compassionate. I mean, these are all the words yep. that we want to just bring to the fore. Um, so you have a lot of little exercises and things women can <laughs> do, uh, little listicles, little journal exercises, and that, you know, sometimes that kind of stuff seems to trivialise something really big, but I genuinely don't think it trivialises anything because when you do the actual exercise, you think, oh, yeah, you know, what's writing three points on a on a sheet about yeah. how I can, uh, like, it actually does make a difference. Uh, it really actually Such does. Such a big difference. Yeah. So it's not trivial at all. Yeah, there's a practice called Three Good Things, which I didn't invent, um, some... Someone else invented it, maybe Martin Seligman or something. Oh, like yes, that. Martin Seligman, the yep. founder of positive psychology. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's been proven to have physical and mental health benefits. And basically, all you do is each day you try to write down three good things. And it doesn't have to be three good things that happened, could just be, you know, good things you've seen or thought, or um, you don't actually have to kind of do even more stuff. Um, And you just write those down each day and it really helps you to kind of switch your mind into a different gear, a more positive gear, and start looking for the good things in your day, which kind of shifts up, um, shifts things up mental health-wise. And I've just found it to be really wonderful. It's also kind of cool because it's like keeping a very specific diary. And when you look back on it, it's just those beautiful details that, 
um, really stand out. And sometimes they might not be the things you'd normally record. You know, perhaps you'd normally write down, you know, what was crappy that happened that day or what's stressing you out, which is also fine. But this idea of a positive journaling approach is really valuable too. Mm, super positive. And I've had um, Dr. John Martini on the show a couple of times who uh, has a gratitude journaling practice and he's, I think he's up to volume 40. It's this huge book. Wow. And his gratitudes are so specific and so detailed. And this is one of the most successful men on the planet in the self-help kind of empowerment space. Um, and squillions and squillions of dollars every year. And yet still so grateful. Like you do an interview with him. Thank you so much for the opportunity to um, speak with your audience. The humility and gratitude um, that he possesses is inspiring, frankly. And I think when you think about these exercises like the three good things, um, it just can't be uh, overstated how important yeah. an impact they can have. It does something to your brain. And like I'm currently doing a creative writing degree. Mm, awesome. A late bloomer. And, you know, they're always drumming in this idea of specific concrete detail in your writing. And I think that's, um, that's what you need in your gratitude journal or your three good, thing, three good things journal. Mm, for sure. Um, yeah, I knew there was a cough coming, so I thought I'm just going to wait and we can edit it out. Are you good to go? I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so I'm passionate about root cause thinking and I think it's important for us to talk about the aspects of the way women are brought up culturally on some level um, and maybe, quite, maybe you've noticed it's actually a specific group of cultures um, that magnifies the you're not enough emotion that really can actually have a starting on the back foot as parents? You know, this is such an interesting question because at the moment this sounds like I'm going way off on a tangent, but it, I'm kind of not. Um, I've been researching some family history and uh, on my mum's side my ancestors go back to um, the first and second fleet, um, but they were convicts. So one of my very distant relatives was on a second fleet ship called Lady Juliana. It was a ship of only women oh, that wow. were brought to Australia because the men needed women, right? So these were, you know, girls aged from like, I don't know, maybe eight through to, I'm guessing, 25 young women chosen specifically to come to Australia to wives, basically, they were, they were convicts because when after the war, what happened was all the women lost their jobs. The men that returned from war were given the women's jobs and the women were on the streets homeless. So then they would steal things and then they would be arrested and sent to the Old Bailey and shipped out here to be wise and so I was thinking about oh my god it's like married at first sight convict edition oh my god horrendous and so they you know these women were on a ship for over a year they the uh the dudes on the ship were told they could choose any woman they wanted like you know and this 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 is where it comes from 
you know, it, this stuff is ingrained in our culture. And so I think if you sort of look at generations, yes, you know, as the years have, you know, rolled on, things have gotten much better for women. We have much better, um, you know, not really equality. Um, you know, we talk about equality a lot. We're aiming for equality. But when it comes down to it, you know, we're still, we're still kind of objectified and we're still judged and we're still, still seen as lesser than. And this just all permeates um, society and, and the way that we live. And I think, I think it's horrible, obviously. And I, I think that it's very hard to protect ourselves and our girls from these sorts of attitudes. So I think we have to be, um, we have to start inside our own four walls and we have to forget about all those gender roles and we have to all be pitching in and we have to all be helping one another and we have to, you know, forget about stereotypes and just be ourselves and let our kids be themselves, whatever that may mean. Mm, so correct. No, I like that rant. I think it's a good one. I saw an article from the 30s, which was about Frida Kahlo. I don't know if you saw this one, but it was, it actually didn't mention her by name at all. It was just a picture of her with an easel painting. And the headline was, famous painter's wife takes up hobby. And, uh, And it was just all about the famous painter who does anyone remember who he, her husband's name was? I don't. Well, she was the one who I was famous. I watched movie and I can't even remember his name, but of no. course I remember her. That's the history we come from. That's what we see in the media still today. Busy mum of three and also a C-suite executive. But it's almost like that's the afterthought and we always have to mention how many yeah. kids the women's have. just diminishing mm. women all the time. Yeah. I think... Um, I sometimes look at the Daily Mail because, you know, it's a bit of a guilty pleasure and I shouldn't. But I was just looking at it today and they had um, an article about Chris Hemsworth and Elsa Pataki, I think that's her name, and they are married and they have, I think, three kids. And, you know, it was just kind of street photos of her, paparazzi photos, and that was all fine. And then you, you read the comments and they're always like this. Why isn't she wearing a bra? You know, like she's. Oh my goodness! It's just like this. This is this is what it's come to. This is this is what we're talking about. This is a woman that is, you know, successful in her field. She's filming in Sydney. She's balancing, you know, a career and kids and a marriage, which is difficult, even if you have got so 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 much money. And we're wondering why she's not wearing a bra. It's just like, stop it. Stop policing women. Like, what's that? Stop finding something wrong. The one wrong thing. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, and I think, you know, our our kids absorb this and we we have to really endeavour to um, discourage that sort of attitude. Mm. And I think also notice when we're using I'm not enough language around our kids, around maybe making a comment on your own weight or the wrinkles that have popped up or um, a silly mum or, you know, like I think we actually don't even realise how big the issue is, those little throwaway lines that because of our own cultural upbringings 
we're then perpetuating perhaps a cycle that we actually want desperately to stop. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, you know, that it sounds to me like that's about measuring ourselves up uh, up against an ideal that we think we need to be. And what does that tell our kids? That tells our kids that there is an ideal that you need to be and perhaps the person you are is is not okay I think you know it's it's fine to strive to be better but not not if you're sort of um not if you're kind of thinking that the you you are is crappy I mean the you you are is not crappy so I think yeah I think you're right I think that sort of negative talk and um that sort of yeah negative self-worth and and vocalizing it and you know even when you're not vocalizing it, even if you're looking in the mirror and you have a shitty look on your face yeah yeah no I think just (laughs) embrace accept um yeah embrace accept that that's what we need to do it's easier said than done of course but it is I mean how wonderful if we could all just kind of be okay with who we are Mm. Imagine it. Imagine it. And I think just our own vibe, even talking about this subject and like being so hopeful and like, wow, how great a world would that be? It's like, oh, we're so not there yet. Talking, I was just feeling more (laughs) and more relaxed. And I'm just like, yeah, and it's okay. And everybody's bodies are okay. And (laughs) but the fact is, that's true. The truth of it is, everybody is okay it's just that all these external uh, influences kind of make us think perhaps we're not mm. yeah so, here we are here we are so how do we love a kid so much like literally like our ovaries twisting on the daily looking at them just thinking oh my gosh how could I not want to kiss you a thousand more times before putting you to bed and yet at the same time wish that they would just give us like a little hour of peace or stop asking questions or just be asleep already or not lose their fifth school hat in this one term um how do we navigate the duplicity of parenting? Those emotions are so, like, the frustration can be so high and the love can be so sky high. Um, I just find it really interesting. Well, I bet you know what I'm going to say. I'm yes, going I to do. say that, <laughs> that we, when we are feeling those things, we know that we are doing parenting right. That is what parenting is. It's not... it's not everything peachy all of the time it's a seesaw of frustration and kind of elation and delight and and you know sometimes those things are way out of balance and you're getting a lot more frustration and very little delight um but that is just what parenting is so if you're feeling that you know kind of torn between those two you should know that you're doing it right you are navigating parenting exactly as you should because it's not smooth sailing. Um, and, yeah, like I said earlier, you're learning, your child is learning. Um, it can be frustrating and just distressing, but it can also be uh, rewarding and snuggly and, and fantastic. So I think that we shouldn't be judging ourselves if we're swinging between the two. I think we should just go, yep. 
that's parenting today. <laughs> mm, yeah. That is that is what it is. It is not easy. It is not seamless. Um, and all of those things, all the challenges and the highlights, they're teaching us things about ourselves and about our child. And I, I found that, you know, being a parent has just taught me so much about myself. And now my kids um, are teaching me things about the world, you know, they're, at the, they're adults now and so it's kind of swung into this whole other realm now so it's really wonderful and um yeah don't never worry if you're sort of feeling like caught in that bind of wonderful times and shitty times because that's just that, that's just how it plays out mm. you know, it won't always be like that yeah and I think a lot of parents especially these days with a lot of double working families, you've got less time with your kids, you want it to be peachy, you don't want it to be fights or discipline or all of that kind of thing. But lots we of act- single parents too. Yeah. And lots of single parents, especially, absolutely. And um, how do we discipline and create boundaries and really help them understand how to be in this world? Because I think often we see it with food a lot in the fussy eating space. I just want peace. So I'd actually prefer to just make them their white bread or their pasta because I don't want yep. dinner to be a grapple. But then you end yeah. up with deficiencies and a whole bunch of issues because you I haven't know. laid down the boundaries. Um, how do we do boundaries but let the kids know they're still pretty much our world? Look, I just think that's one that you have to kind of learn on your feet. And I think um, being open and honest with your kids about what's what's happening and why and, and what your expectations of them are is really important, um, as is following through on, you know, gentle discipline. And, I'm, you know, I really love Maggie Dent, the parenting educator's approach to discipline. She's wonderful. So if anyone's kind of a bit stuck on how to discipline without being authoritarian, I would say um, follow Maggie Dent and she will teach you. Maggie's got a YouTube for everything. Yeah, I think just being open, clear and consistent and also acknowledging when you have stuffed up. Like I think, you know, sometimes we might freak out that that last spoonful of peas did not go in the mouth. It went all over the floor. Um, and, And, you know, we might have a bit of a tantrum about that. But I think later on saying to your child you know that wasn't okay that I got so upset about that it's only peas and I I understand that you didn't really want to eat that and perhaps you shouldn't have dropped it on the floor hey but you know we we both misbehaved so I'm sorry are you sorry like having those sort of conversations when things go wrong I think it's really important and I think to me that is the key to having you know really nourishing parenting life is to always have those conversations with your kids and it doesn't have to just be about when things go wrong. I think having deep conversations with your child every single day from day dot is key because that means as they grow up, um, you know, you really have kind of opened the door to having this enriched two-way conversation. And then when they get older, you know, they're really, they're still super trusting and close to you and they still want to talk to you about things and they know that you are a flawed human who is really trying to understand them as much as you're trying to understand yourself. And I think, you know, 
that's wonderful. So that's my my top parenting tip for everyone is make time for those deep conversations. You know, just sit down with your kid for five minutes every day and and have have a serious conversation about what's going on. Or maybe it's a funny conversation, but just make make time for those chats because they're super important. Mm, I love that. And if kids get let in on the why of things, they're far more likely to be on the uptake. Oh, gosh, yeah. And I mean, so very often they'll go, oh, I know, gosh, sorry I did that and I could see you were sad and I was sad too and let's have a cuddle and, like, you know, it's a, it's actually, it turns into something lovely and it's just a human-to-human thing rather than a, you know, parent-to-child thing. Mm. And I remember reading, um, I'm a little bit obsessed with the wonderful Edith Eager, uh, the Auschwitz survivor and her books, The Choice and the Gift, and in both The Choice and the Gift, but predominantly The Gift, where she actually takes you through some of her patients' um, uh, uh psychology like you know psychology visits and and the journey that they went on to heal um she said to a woman who never fought with her husband if you don't have fights you don't have intimacy and uh and I thought gosh that's the same with with parenting and the parent-child dynamic if you don't have things come to blow and then get over them and talk them through and explain how you were feeling and why they might've been feeling a certain way. It really does build the intimacy. It doesn't mean I'm not saying abuse and I'm not saying violence and I'm not saying any of that, but something coming to blows is actually really natural. I think, yeah, like when, you know, having a crisis like that, it's a chance to sort of build their emotional intelligence as a chance for you to understand more about them. And even though it might feel a little bit like it's blurring the boundary between parent and child in some ways, because you're, I suppose you're sort of meeting in the middle. I I think that is okay. Like, I think why wouldn't we want to connect to our child like that and actually have, you know, true understanding between yourself and your kiddo, like that's rewarding. and, And that just, you know, bolsters them for next time and, um, helps them to understand, you know, how how you tick and, and what you expect from them. Mm, brilliant. Um, so speaking about perfection and thinking, oh, no, we should never have any fights and we should, all this kind of stuff, the perfect parenting influencer, um, what's it doing to us seeing mm. people do parenting so beautifully online? Well, look, when my kids were little, there was no Instagram yet, so I was lucky. Mm. hooray for me but um for you know parents that are coming up now with um that as an influence I think it must be really difficult I spoke to um a lot of mums about it and they they said it was difficult they said they were tired of seeing women that you know were doing everything perfectly and they were tired of seeing the bounce back bodies they were tired of everything looking you know peachy and rusty and minty and pastel coloured, you know, because their life was not like that and they weren't seeing themselves reflected um, online. And I think that is true in so many ways. But also I think, you know, good luck to those people if that's how they live their life, wonderful, go at it. We need to protect ourselves from that if if we're feeling like it's harming us. So I think it's important to seek out people that are, you know, a bit more like us online or people that seem really interesting to us 
and interact with them, you know, and don't, don't follow the rest. I think try to aim for connection rather than comparison and, you know, look for the humanity in the people that you're following, like, rather than, you know, you don't always have to be inspired by people. Like, you know, I think there are lots of other ways to get inspired. Um, we, we don't always have to look to Instagram for inspiration. So perhaps, um, you know, getting out there in the world if you're not in lockdown um, and, you know, going to galleries or um, going for walks in, among nature or, you know, doing things like that out in the real world, take inspiration from that rather than looking at how influencers might be living and, and um, you know, try to buy the things they buy and look like them and talk like them. I mean, that's just, to me, that's a big waste of time. So, yeah, I think we need to step out of the equation altogether and use social media just for connection and use it to make ourselves feel better. Yeah. And the beauty is, is if we actually put some effort and thought into it, you can tailor things that way. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, anyone that's not making you feel good about yourself, don't follow them. Like the whole idea of hate following people is ridiculous and it's unhealthy and like snarky. And Well, and then that has you judging someone who's doing life differently to you as well. So we perpetuate that cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Like Like me actually kind of taking a look at, the daily mail like I shouldn't do that <laughs> but you know I do it because I want to see if they're still doing that thing so that I can talk about it. so you know I forgive myself but yeah like I build your own world make it the way you want and yeah I mean do unto others you know it's true mm. I think that's why so many women love Celeste Barber so much because she really just turned that whole perfect looking scenario on its head yeah. Um, and, and made us fall in love with the real scenario. Yeah, I feel like she really strikes a good balance. Like it's not, you know, it's it's making fun of, making light of without, you know, it's not really snarkily mocking or anything. No. Like because she's really. Um, it's like you're herself. amazing and this is what yeah. it looks like when she's I do it. Exposing herself. Yeah. 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 So, I, you know, <laughs> I, love, I love what she does. I think it's great. And, you know, yes, you're right. I think that's why, you know, so many people do love her because she's kind of highlighting that ridiculous, um, the ridiculous pressure that there is to kind of be a certain way. And when most of us, you know, probably resemble Celeste more than Kylie Jenner or whoever it might be. I know. I, I'm a really rustic baker. I just kind of slap things together and they look how they look. I don't spend a lot of time on decorating or anything. And one of my favourite things in the world is seeing Pinterest cake fails when people actually make the cake <laughs> and follow the instructions. But what regular people who That's aren't very good at all that sort of stuff, you just think, oh, it thank God, it's not just me. Yeah, it shouldn't be perfect. Things shouldn't be perfect. It's so mm. much more fun if things are a bit cobbled together and pokey you know yeah um and something else that I loved about um well actually no I didn't love this part about your book I was quite shocked uh was to learn how many angles from which mums receive criticism yes so this kind of feeds off this influencer culture where we're comparing ourselves to how other people are doing things and we spoke about that actually earlier as well Can you talk us through some of these different channels we're receiving criticism from? Yes. Look, um, 
I found a study by the University of Michigan and they interviewed mums to find out where the criticism was coming from. 37% was coming from um, the mum's own mum or dad, so the grandparent of their kiddo. Then 36% from a spouse or the child's other parent, depending on the family situation. In-laws um, were responsible for 31% of critiquing. And then it drops right down. So peers, 14%. Um, peers includes friends, which, you know, hey, what kind of a friend is that if they're critiquing you? And then uh, drops down to 12% for um, other mums critiquing women in public spaces. And, and so it goes. People on social media, it was something like 7%. So not a huge amount. But when you think about it, it's like we're spending a lot of time on social media. And so, you know, it's probably in those quiet hours where we've got time to reflect. We're looking at social media and if someone has a crack at us, my God, it just mm. like it hits so hard. Or the 12% of the um, mums that you don't know in public spaces. That one shocked me because I, I thought about a busy toddler park. Yeah. And there'd be like, say, 30 mums there with all the kids. Um and a couple of dads thrown in for good measure. We're seeing more and more go yeah. men. That's excellent. Um, but in that scenario, you could count, therefore, on perhaps four people making comments at you in the course of a two-hour hangout down at the park. Yeah. And I was and so shocked by that. that. But at the same time, I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, actually. Yeah. <laughs> mm. And, like, I was just going to say, if you think about what the criticism might be, you know that when you are a mum, you know, you're pretty strung out, exhausted, and, you know, someone could just say something, you know, little like um, that That hat doesn't give much coverage and suddenly, like, that's <laughs> your whole day is like, Jesus, like, I put a crappy hat on my kid. Or you spend the rest of the day thinking about all the clever things you could have said back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or it's like, oh, (laughs) does your child eat that sort of biscuit? And, you know, it's just all like, and oh, my God, like you probably will think about it five years later. It's that stupid. Like, but that stuff hits hard. I don't know. I'm not sure what it is. Perhaps it's that it's a stranger and it just comes out of the blue and, you, you know, you don't expect it. I don't know. I don't know why it hits so hard that a complete stranger would, you know, pick you up on something. But it really does. It's just well, I think like, it comes back that, to that people. Brene Brown thing. You're not in my arena, so yes, you know. Exactly. And, but but exactly. we we're not very good at that. So we actually do take it on board when that person's not in our arena. So we're not asking for their feedback, and we should just water off a duck's back it but we don't often that's right and also it's like asking ourselves okay why why is that person saying that like like what you know what's the motivation behind that and like very often the motivation is not to be helpful it's just I don't know maybe one-upmanship or I don't know passive aggression I mean my my opinion on it would be don't even comment on anyone else's parenting. Just be positive because like, you, don't, you don't know how tough people are doing it and how your little comment, your little passive-aggressive comment, it might be ringing in their ears, you know, for weeks, months, 
years, they might, you know, talk about it one day <laughs> to their therapist about the time that, you know, that was the straw that broke the camel's back, I think. Yeah. I mean, don't, why would you critique other parents? What's the point? No point. Are you perfect? No. No, absolutely no. not. And I think, oh, yeah. you know, as writers, we always have to make it abundantly clear that advice is not a critique of what people are actually doing. It's just yes. that if you're interested about this topic, these are my thoughts, this is what I've found. Yeah, take it on or don't. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really important to strike that balance, I always find as well. Yeah, I mean, it is surprising that there's so much criticism and, you know, the fact that there's even a study on the criticism, where criticism is coming from is mm. kind of awful. It is. Like, it's not very constructive. No. So let's talk about a couple of things as we wrap up that are constructive and are positive and are going to be super helpful. And one of the things uh, I hadn't really thought of as a way to actually get more energy and feel more empowered as a parent, even though I do them, I've never thought about them as um, beneficial in the way that you describe them in the book, which is acts of service and giving and um you know, my love language is food, so I always drop off a casserole to someone who's had a move day or a newborn or, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it does fill up my cup big time. And I, you would see it, though, as an extra thing you have to do today. But I had never really focused on just how much joy it brings me. And you have this whole list of things, that, like a brainstorm of what people can do for other people and how it actually brings you more energy than it takes from you. That's it. I think um, they call it the helper's high mm. when you do something nice for somebody else. And it does sound a bit counterintuitive because, oh, another thing I have to do. And, you know, you shouldn't really think of it that way, I don't think, because it doesn't have to be a casserole that you make. It might just be letting someone in uh, ahead of you at the supermarket, you know, letting them go through the register first. It might be, I don't know, putting someone's garbage bin just inside their front gate for them. It, it, it could be tiny things or it could be big things. And what happens is that we feel good about ourselves. We feel more connected to our community. We have a little interaction with the world that it's not just about our little family. It's about something bigger. And all of these things make us feel better. They uh, give us more energy, as you said, and they sort of, perpetuate other acts of kindness as well I mean if you ever see someone doing something nice for someone you know like you feel good about witnessing it as well oh so, totally like the good news yeah. movement Instagram feeds yes. like yes, I just exactly. I'm just like oh my god humans are so good it's like it's adorable and lovely yeah. why wouldn't we be doing that and so yes in like it's sort of proven to um, boost feelings of well-being and I mean, why wouldn't it? It's just what a great way to live your life. So I think, you know, if you're feeling overwhelmed and you're like, mm, I don't know if kindness is for me, you know, just think about um, how you can kind of slot it into your usual routine, like letting someone cut in or you know, let, let everybody merge in the traffic. I mean, like there's so many things you can do that it just that don't take any time, just a tiny bit of effort. Mm. And such a, such a great one to teach our kids as well. Yep, exactly. Yep. 
Yeah, my son, um, he came home on the um, bus the other day and he walked in, unpacked his lunchbox and I said, how was your day? He's like, mum, I, um, I picked up a walking cane for a lady who dropped her walking cane and I gave it back to her. And his face was just beaming. You could tell that he was on a mega helper's high. And I said, yeah. that, that made you feel really good in your heart, didn't it, sweetheart? I can see. And he's like, yeah. It's just so like that makes me think. Wouldn't it be lovely, like if you did your three good things each day? You sat down with your kids and they did theirs too, and it could be like a family ritual in a way that I love that. Yeah, wouldn't that be beautiful? So, I mean, obviously, your kiddo has got some good things going on in his life. Yeah, some very good things. How adorable that would be! Super adorable, and I think things like more traditional religious or cultural structures of the past for a lot of people, I say the past, not for everyone, um, but did have these things built in, reflection, gratitude. Um, and so if one isn't necessarily um, tight with a particular cultural group or a religion, we need to bring that spirituality back, that um, connection piece very consciously so that we don't lose those benefits. I think that's mm. really perceptive and very true. Mm. Um, friendships is another one that you are very hell bent on making sure we work on uh, for our own well-being as mums. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about because I feel like sometimes in the baby years it, you can retreat quite a bit. Um, just through force of, especially if you have a few close together, it is just such an incredibly busy time. Um, building, re, like reconnecting and building a rock solid network. Um, it's obviously important. How do we do it? Well, I think um, recognising that we need it is the first step. So as much as we might want to tuck ourselves away under the doona behind the curtains in our cosy home, it's not always going to be what's best for us. Yes, definitely do that some of the time, but what we need and what our kids need is a mini community um, to rely on. So I think when your kids are little, it's such a good idea to look out for people that might be your people. And, you know, you might only need one or two, but look out for them and kind of set the tone, you know, let them know that you, you're kind of looking for a buddy to kind of... Um, for play dates with kids to help each other, you know, to pick up stuff from the shops, um, you know, for each other, um, basically kind of a little support crew and, and try and find a person that can be that person for you and you can be that person for them because, like, what could be better than your kids growing up with other kids and another person that is not their mum that um, that they can turn to when when times are tough? So. I think you really need to seek that out. And it's so awkward, isn't it? It's like, I don't know, it's like Tinder for friends or something. Yeah, dating. <laughs> but, I, but I think, you know, have a little pitch. Just say, mums need each other. Like, would you like to hang out sometimes? And, you know, maybe that's going to be met with rejection. That's okay. That's not about you. That's the other person is not in that space now and that's fine. But keep trying. Like, try and try and find that buddy um, that you can kind of rely on and make sure it's somebody, you know, local. So hopefully you might meet them at a community group or at the local pool or at the park and 
try and build them into your life, like make a really conscious effort um, to support them and include them. And hopefully they'll do the same for you because like you could have a lifetime of friendship with that person and your kids and, and then their kids, you know, could all grow up together and, and kind of be the, the family that you choose. So yes, seek it out. I know it's hard and it feels awkward, but it's totally worth it. Mm, totally worth it. Um, Self-care is worth it too. This is my last question because I think it's the most important one. Um, a lot of women feel like they don't keep themselves, literally lose themselves in the parenting journey. And um, you speak to this really beautifully in the book and give uh, women a lot of ways to honour themselves and still be us while being a parent at the same time um, because, you know, we talked about that super reactive, especially early days when it's like if if a nappy needs changing, like you literally can't say, yeah, I'm doing my gratitude journal right now. Sorry. Like, you know, it's just there's a punami on the scene. You need to address that. Um, but often there are times if we really think about carving it out for ourselves that we can be just us. Can you give us a bit of, you give us some tools and exercises in the book. What's one of your favourite ones to share with mums who do feel like they might be a little lost and not themselves in the picture anymore? Well, I think that you can kind of, it's easy to forget who you are when you're just constantly, constantly reacting to others' needs. So I think spending some time kind of really thinking about what you're into, what your strengths are, um, where you might want to go is super duper important. But <coughs> but I also think that it can feel like you need to rush all of this stuff and you don't, you don't really have to rush it. Like once you become a, become a mum, something weird happens. You become very motivated and focused, in my opinion. And you know how to get things done eventually. So I think trusting yourself um, that you're going to do what you need to do is important. And extending the timeline, you know, just kind of shift your expectations a bit. Know that if you want to um, achieve something, you know, perhaps it's going to take a little bit longer, but there's no reason why you can't do it because now you've got this kind of super motivation um, that mum life brings. And so even if it takes you a while to get there, once you get there, um, you'll approach it differently than you would before you were a parent. I have just done so many things as a mum just because being a mum has kind of given me, I don't know, a different kind of energy and um, it's it sort of made me want to be more of a role model for my kids and show them that you can do good stuff and live a creative life. And perhaps I wouldn't have done a lot of the stuff I've done if, if it weren't for them. I think um, it's really powerful trying to be a good example and, and, um, and set, yeah, set a good example for your kids. And so I think just know that you've got a bit of a superpower now and um, it's okay if it takes a bit of time for it to show itself. Mm. And I love that you said there to do um, in not as many words, but essentially to do some values work and to really dig into who am I and what are my strengths. Yeah, it's quite shocking. Yeah. yeah, it's quite shocking to me how difficult 
we find it um, because we've literally given ourselves unto everyone but ourselves for and sometimes a number of years, sometimes a number of decades if we've been brought up in a family where the little girls have to help with the housework. You know, that's still very, very common. Um, and uh, and doing the values work is so key to then whatever flows on from that. Yeah, and I, I think that kind of links back with standing in front of the mirror every day saying, who am I today? What do I need? Like, I think start from there. And you're kind of opening up the rest of your your life to kind of asking yourself the important questions and answering them. I love it. So let's give everybody listening those two great things. So every morning, just try it for a week, see what happens, what comes up, who am I today and what do I need to support this person that I am today feeling these things? Would you say that that's, yeah, Yeah. that's a good one? And number two, three good things. And maybe involve the kids. Mm. And look, if you are on social media, you can do your three good things on social media if you want to. Like, Mm. I mean, you can share them and kind of spread the word about three good things. So, Mm. love it. People love it. I love it. You'll love it. Brilliant. Thanks, Pip. Such a great conversation. But like a conversation with you was like having a big cuddle about parenting as well. That's that's the aim. (laughs) I really love this book. Days Like These is available in all good bookstores. Overseas as well. Can people find it around the traps? Not yet. Not yet. Working on it. Fabulous. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I look forward to recommending everyone share, show, follow you on socials. And we've got a lot more details on how people can connect to your work and your first book in today's show notes. So thanks again, Phew. Thank you. I just loved this chat. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at Lotox Life or one word or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's Stuart S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life. Uh, and of course, lotoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low-Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lotoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.